welcome to So You Want to Be a Leader, really? A Defy Expectations podcast. I'm Vicky Hampson. And I'm Helen Honeyset. We're here to explore the highs and lows of leadership today with our guests. And help you navigate the complexity of being a leader from every aspect, from the sublime to the totally ridiculous and everything in between. This week's guest is Nadine Pfeiffer, who is a young leader and entrepreneur determined to increase the level of confidence in young people everywhere. Nadine has got a great form called Hopstair, which she has created and crafted with her team. And it really does look at how you can build confidence as a superpower. Lovely to be here. I'm Nadine. I am a founder of Hopstair. And yeah, great to be here. Thank you so much. Fantastic. And welcome, Nadine. Before we dive into all of this, I just want to remind everybody you can find more about Nadine on our website if you visit www.defyexpectations.co.uk. So, Nadine, you are on a mission, a mission to build confidence in young people. Can you share with us how you got to this point and, and why you've got this passion to do what you do? Yeah, certainly. So I suppose just a little bit of a backstory as to how I've got to where I've gotten to. I'm 32 now, which I'm not ashamed to <laughs> to mention. But and I'm a very confident person now, but that's certainly not been the case throughout my life. And I was one of the many, many people who experienced all sorts of challenges, some of them in the classic mental health realm, depressive symptoms, anxiety, and some of them more everyday stuff. I wasn't a popular child in school. I was always like, hey, can you invite me to the party? And then potentially sometimes being invited and just that, why am I not fitting in? I had body image issues. I was always like, and that's actually quite common broadly, disordered eating and just really chasing external validation, whether that's at work or at school, getting good feedback, getting rewards of sorts, or just getting compliments from friends and acquaintances, relying on other people to make me feel that I know what I'm doing, I'm capable, I'm beautiful, etc. But really, in hindsight, really realizing how that's, that never strongly came from within. And so... I was left with all these challenges and it was quite overwhelming. You get into that space where you worry about worrying. You're like, what's wrong with me for feeling so messed up across all these areas? Other people don't seem to have that problem. Of course, that's not true. But I suppose that was my my thinking. It was overwhelming thinking I'd have to tackle all these individual things. I did go to therapy and this is not therapy bashing because I think it's an incredible tool and if done right, really, really powerful. But for me personally, it didn't help with any of it. And by accident towards my late 20s in my job, I had a colleague who was a certified coach and I thought, why not try it? My main purpose going into that or my intention going into that was, hey, I want to have my next promotion. How do I get there? What stands in the way? Let's unblock this. But Needless to say, that was quickly not the focus. And it was very much an accelerated personal development journey and ultimately a confidence building journey. And it wasn't until I had built my confidence to really decent level, I want to say a year in from that first session, that I looked back and it's just this huge personal light bulb moment, realizing that all these challenges that I've described were suddenly gone or like significantly more manageable and but I'd never clocked self-confidence to be a thing it was never on my mind to consciously build it or and I was never conscious that I didn't have it 
And so I was one of the many people that was just always symptom chasing, but not actually tackling the root cause. And that's really a problem with the wider mental health system is we, we create revolving doors. We wait till people are feeling bad or are in crisis. We give them some level of intervention, as we know, usually with a huge delay. And for minor symptoms, it's usually not even something that the system wants to pick up. And then oftentimes it's, it stops at making somebody feel better in the moment, but it's not actually tackling that root cause self-confidence. And so long story short, for me, it's really that personal light bulb moment that gave rise to me having hundreds of conversations with all sorts of people, young people, parents, educators, coaches, who obviously would have coached many, many people over thousands of hours and really so crystal clear that common denominator being confidence. And if you go into the science, you'll find scientific links as well. But then realizing where's that awareness when you go on Google, it's very fluffy stuff that's not going to help you for very long unless unless you're really, really accountable to yourself. A lot of the science is all over the place, the way it's displayed and the way we just commonly as a society talk about confidence is that superficial level. And if we have the wrong definition of that, of what true self-confidence actually is, we're not going to foster the right kind in individuals and people are aiming for the wrong thing. So with all that background in mind, it's like, look, there's a key gap. We can't just keep symptom fighting and, and rely on that and ultimately increase that bulk of people who are in crisis. But actually, we need to prevent and we need that primary prevention. We need to invest in self-confidence to really enable to people to be well by themselves. So, yeah, that's a very long story about why. You talk about confidence, A, about with a lot of passion, but also you talk about it being a superpower. Now, how can leaders who are currently leading younger people and actually anybody in their team, because I think confidence and building confidence is an issue that is not defined by age, but how can leaders help people in their teams build more confidence? Yeah, and that's an excellent question. I was sort of thinking about that because I think being a manager myself and having had direct reports for a long time, there's certainly a lot you can do in terms of how you work with individuals in the context of a job. But I would also strongly caveat this, even the best of all managers in the world, or the best leader, there will be constraints on your time, really invest on a one to one basis. So whilst I will talk about sort of what individuals can do, I think there is definitely a huge ask on organizations to provide those resources, like, for example, coaching programs where individuals can take out time additionally, you know, as part of their job outside to really seek that sort of longer term engagement and dedicated support through a professional coach who know all those techniques, because we can't expect individual leaders to be as proficient in coaching as a professional coach is. So the best a leader in an organization can do is take the key principles into their relationships with their direct reports, but they won't replace the depth of work that you can do and the depth of progress you can achieve for yourself by working with a professional coach. So finding ways to really give your staff, your people access to professional coaching is really, really vital. On the personal leader front, really quickly, I know I can talk loads about this, so I'll try and keep it brief, but I think it's really interesting when you keep hearing and keep seeing the reports around how one of the most challenging 
things people find in their workplaces is toxic leadership. And that's a, a testament of actually lack of confidence in the leaders themselves, because there's no reason to be toxic if you're really solid in who you are and you're happy with yourself. So that's one thing. But obviously it undermines individuals being managed by those individuals. And that's so commonplace. I mean, there's stats around the 70-80% mark of individuals experiencing toxic leadership. So it's not a tiny problem. It's big. And so obviously you then get turnover, et cetera. But you're just un effectively undermining an individual's potential and well-being in the workplace. And you would think we've come a long way away from micromanagement and that kind of deficiency thinking a lot of management and leadership in the workplace is still about what a person is not good at and needs to improve on rather than what the person is great at and should do more of, or equally, what is the person passionate about and wants to do more of. So a lot of the conversation is still about, you are not doing this great, fix it. And that deficiency lens is really disempowering and not necessarily the best way. It might seem logical, in the moment, but actually it's not because there's, my dad would always say there's many, many streets to roam, but really taking the time to really understanding and getting to know the people you manage, your teams, and really understand what the strengths are and appreciating the diversity of talent and personality and approaches and ways of thinking. That's where you really tap into an individual's motivation to contribute at their best and really have that sense of wanting to contribute in the workplace and to whatever the mission is at hand. But if you actually come to it being like, you are X and I want you to be Y, that's never going to work. But that tends to be the case. And then you end up with micromanagement because there's already that disconnect you created between what the person is great at, their, their strengths and their passions and what you think, what your version is of them. And that's never going to work. The key thing that leaders can do is really to understand people's individual strengths and motivations and passions and really tap into them and harnessing them because the surprise again the potentially illogical thing here is that actually that then also tackles a lot of the things you might feel that person could develop in but you come at it from a very strengths-based perspective that is motivating and inspiring to the individual rather than makes them feel less than so that's certainly certainly something that is quite critical that I would I would say at this point. So Nadine, Hopster uses technology to enable. And if I was to put an underline at this point, it would be on the word enable. And Helen and I have a lot of background and belief in how technology is an enabler. So back to the question, you use technology to enable confidence and to build confidence. In your experiences as you've been building the business and using technology as the enabler, how do you think it impacts on the experience and on the interactions for people? And what are some of the advantages of using technology? I would start by saying there's a spectrum, right? There's a spectrum. On the one end, you have scalability and really making it available to everybody. Let's assume there's a, there's the solution that everyone in the world can access. That's obviously the maximum scalability and technology can help you do that. But on the other end of the spectrum is personalization and one-to-one -one really in-depth conversation, for example, between two friends, between a coach and a coachee, whatever. So the, the big exam question is how can you produce something that's scalable, which then also helps with equity and not just having a solution that, that the wealthy or certain privileged groups can access, but actually anyone can access at a low cost and provide some quality services of whatever, 
but how can you use technology not just in a purest sense but in a way or in a tech deterministic sense but in a way that it does as much as you can to not lose that personalization, that one-to-one, that really relatable relation aspect that really engages individuals and has that level of, okay, this person or this service really gets me and my individual circumstances. And that's really difficult to do. And there's still loads of innovation needed and time needed to get that right. And I think the challenge we have as a business is that we know that there's huge gaps, there's loads of ways to improve, but I think there's also that level of wariness of the first generation of wellness, well-being apps that have come on the market and they were more on that far-end tech scalability side, but not really doing too much on that personalization side. And what that does in reality is you've got huge attrition. People don't stick with your product. It's very generic. It doesn't provide people with bespoke support. And that's not very engaging and people eventually will get bored of it. And so that's very much the an aspect where we really want to innovate and be significantly better. And as much as it's a buzzword, but it does provide huge opportunity, but how we can use, for example, the power of AI to utilize deep learning to really aim for a platform that eventually is hyper-personalized. So it's scalable, everyone can still access it, but making it so personal that the user really feels that the platform personalizes to their needs, tailors to their needs, how they consume information, what information they find most helpful, and really drawing out insights that are personal to them rather than pre-programmed and sent to everybody, because that's where the sweet spot is. That's where you get close, but never from a Venn diagram perspective, you never fully reach what a personal, what an individual coach can do with you in a one-to-one session, but getting as close as possible in terms of what tech can do to still get those individual insights and provide people that sort of experience in a scalable way that it's affordable. So that's something where I feel the power is, but people underestimate the challenge of getting there. It's actually really really challenging, really resource intensive. And so I think there's a bit of ignorance around how much effort it it takes to get to that level of sophistication and deploying technology in a human way. May I ask just one more question on top of that, Nadine? Sorry, I've jumped in and it's a it's a bit of a, a left to center question, but there's so much that you've covered here and I don't just say this, but before you gave the response, I'd written down that sort of perspective of a spectrum, particularly in your reference to you spoke a little bit earlier about toxic leadership and it's a phrase that's often used and thrown around. And I don't think often enough picked apart to validate what that means. I think about that spectrum and where your use of technology and your tool as an enabler to understand that and to very objectively be able to see those kind of behaviors. I think about it from the startup and scale up world where I think there's almost this special invisibility cloak where belonging to the world of startup and scale-up allows a certain spectrum of bad behaviors because it's just how it is. And I think there must be a huge, this is a made-up word, appealability of a platform as such as Hopster and what you offer to come into this space and provide that support for aspiring leaders, younger individuals in that space who are encountering that maybe for the first time and thinking that's what leadership looks like. So it's really comforting for us that 
that's another facet in the way that technology can be a real enabler for that particular cohort age group of individuals in those scenarios. Yeah, 100%. And I would just add to that. And that's quite simplistic and generalized. So I completely appreciate that there's lots more granularity within that statement. But I want to say that the opportunity to shape a different and better leadership is highest in our younger generations. Because I suppose what we see in the sort of leaders, managers, I know that there's a distinction, but I don't want to sort of take up too much space here to go into that. But within the established leaders that have been around for 5, 10, 20 years, there's some excellent ones in that, but it's the, the vast minority, as we know. And of those that have those toxic leadership traits, and again, I could go into detail, but won't now, around what that means for me, there's much more incentive and desire and motivation for younger people to learn, including about themselves, and particularly our Gen Z generation, but also millennials, they are much more switched on when it comes to personal development and mental health and the toxicity of, for example, social media, which then will also prompt those same questions in the workplace. So there's much more opportunity to really um, support that generation to model what good, confident, internally validated behavior looks like, and then bring that into the workplace and almost force a change through that bottom-up approach, because I think there's going to be limitations in terms of readiness for change. Individuals, there'll be a lot of stigma and shame and defensiveness in the established leaders to want to recognize that perhaps their leadership style isn't quite where it's supposed to be, because they're meant to be senior and they're highly paid. So surely they know what's going on, right? We know that's not the case, but so hence the opportunity is highest in our young is my personal view. <laughs> I think there's a lot of opportunity in young people but I also think we have to be able to support people to build self-awareness to understand what's needed now the type of leadership that has got us here came out of actually some very human need I think it's lasted too long I don't think it's necessarily the way to lead effectively but I think we have to recognize that we were taught to lead that way because it worked when we needed it to work and 100 years ago that was great but now we need something different so thinking back to those comments about toxic leadership, micromanagement, deficiency thinking. What's the one thing that you would say to a more senior leader who may display some of those traits to help them increase their self-awareness or give them a little bit of motivation to actually think slightly differently about how they lead? Get feedback from the people you manage. I think in anonymous feedback, not just simply put them on the spot in a one-to-one and, hey, do you have feedback for me? They're not, no. Do it anonymously through your line manager, like facilitated feedback. But too often, I don't see that happening. Usually, direct reports get feedback. But if you reach a certain leadership level, even though you're technically, in many instances, unless you're the CEO, where you still have that line manager still, you see that disappearing. It goes back to, oh, this person is meant to know what they're doing because they're in a really senior role. But then that 360 feedback kind of slips off. So I think... A key one is really that facilitated 360 feedback, not just by peers, not just by more senior individuals, because that's usually where senior leaders or leaders are orienting themselves towards. They want to please 
their peers. They want to please the people above them because they want to go places. But that usually comes at the expense of the direct reports. So ask your direct reports, ask the people you manage in an anonymous way to share their feedback as to how they're perceiving it, working with you and what the impact is on them. So Nadine, one of the things that we ask all our guests here at Defy Expectations, and it relates to us and, and what we stand for, is a play on words around Defy Expectations. We talk about defiant wisdom. I remember quite often being told not to be defiant, but actually we like to be defiant quite often. So would you be able to share or pay forward a pearl of your defiant wisdom for other young people or aspiring leaders? I think so. I think the the one most powerful thing that we tend to forget is even the most um, professional looking, put together person, the most assertive person in the room, they will have a lot of stuff going on, going through their mind. They have a lot of challenges. All it is to say, you're not alone. Really start from, from the place of you are not alone in figuring this out. The best you can do is be really honest with yourself to say that I, I want to go places and these are my challenges and I'm working on them. You don't have to share them with people unless you're comfortable. But the point is, A, you're not alone in having these challenges, but don't try and push them away as like no big deal or like try and act like you already that kind of fake it till you make it sort of pretend like you're this ultra I've got everything figured out kind of person that actually stands in the way of your own growth that's not to say you should go into every meeting saying I'm terrible at this 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 and this that's not the point but the point is just to be really honest and true with yourself to recognize these challenges and wanting to work on these challenges and knowing you're not alone and I suppose it's then also just really invest invest really in that piece about who is you um what do you bring to this workplace? And don't stop at your job description. Don't stop at your title or like the work that you're given. How can you uniquely bring everything you have to offer to this piece of work? Are you someone who brings people together? Are you somebody who can present concepts really well? Are you really analytical and really get the most out of data what are those things that are really unique to you and how how can you foster them how can you work best with your own personality and who you are to get the most out of this job to or this role but also contribute the most whilst not getting yourself boxed in into whatever job description because it's disempowering and it will quickly lose its flavor it might sound quite sexy when you come into a new role but unless you can marry up that piece you're going to lose interest really quickly. So invest in that, but also at the same time, as you get to know yourself and think about those ways to bring that out, really learn to appreciate those things that you uniquely bring. That's really, really important. It's a little mental aid that I use and I've seen, I've seen other people use. And that's, again, not meant to judge. But as soon as somebody comes to me and criticizes me for no reason I'm not talking constructive feedback I love constructive feedback but when it's purely about Nadine you're so you're so assertive you're so loud you're so forthcoming I'm like those are good things like what, what are you trying to say have I hurt anyone have I no you haven't but if people just criticize for criticism's sake and I always you know don't let that ever get to you it's usually a level of projection 
that's got nothing to do with you. Embrace the unique things that you are and that those might be different from the norm. And that's perfectly fine. We need that diversity wherever we are in life, in particular in the workplace. So yeah, it's, I don't know if that's the sorts of wisdom that you were looking for, but I think that's really, really easy to forget and but really important to remember to do. Just towards the end there, you gave a really lovely quote. I hope I get it right. So embrace the uniqueness that you are. And it validates why, I think one of the things that I was thinking about when you were explaining this, it's it's so hard to often be yourself when feedback comes in the form of be more of this and be less of that. You know, the person is often not able to be the person. And a lot of that feedback is directed at the behaviors that actually do have value and can bring impact but it's the way that feedback is provided so oh you're too much of this and you're too less of that so just that simple wording and hopefully through that combination of the way tech enables that and overrides that kind of biased communication and through great coaches i really hope that allows people to embrace the uniqueness that they are 100 percent. thank you that's really great well summarized thank you We had a guest recently who said awareness trumps everything. And I think to awareness trumps everything, appreciate yourself and be uniquely you is the best pearl of wisdom you can come up with. So if you've been as inspired as we have with our amazing guest, Nadine, please check back in as we're going to be running these regularly and we cover every aspect of the kind of skills leaders need to continuously develop, evolve and thrive. Do look at our website, defyexpectations.co.uk, and remember to follow us to get notified of our next episode. Mm-hmm.